safe source of true delight my unseen adore unveil thy beauties to my sight that i might love thee more oh that i might love thee more you're listening to the weekly podcast from fort worth presbyterian the following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding dying. The scripture reading this morning is out of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That is can be found on page 962 in the blue Bible that's uh, there in the pew. I will read verses 50 through 58 of 1 Corinthians 15. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet... For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death... Where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The word of the Lord. Let's ask the Lord to bless us as we come to his word. Lord, there is so much in us, even as believers that might resist your word, might be distracted uh, where this word would find no place in our hearts and find no deposit there and find no uh, influence into our lives. Oh, Lord, we pray by your Holy Spirit, uh, transform us by your blessed word. Thank you for giving it, and thank you that you will attend it according to your promise. In Jesus' name, amen. This is actually the third week we've dealt with this passage. The first week, we talked a lot about the actual, physical, amazing resurrection of the dead that's going to occur at the end of our history and the magnificent change that's going to take place in our bodies and in the whole of our lives as we are made into the perfect image of Jesus Christ. Last week, we dealt in verse 58 with those first two uh, commands, be steadfast, immovable. And this applies to what we should believe about the resurrection. And we saw that we should uh, be steadfast and immovable, believing in the forgiveness that the resurrection proclaims to us. If he's been released from punishment, then anybody who trusts in him will be released from punishment. 
Anyone who identifies with Christ and and gives their lives over into his care, we will get that same benefit. Forgiveness has been won. That's what the resurrection declares. And we're to be steadfast and immovable, believing in the forgiveness that we have. And also steadfast and immovable, believing in the new life that we have. The resurrection means that we are raised, even though our outward body is perishing, inwardly we've been raised to new life, a new capacity to live after God. New desires, new love for people and for God. And we're to be steadfast and movable, believing in this glorious new life. And then finally, the hope that we have. Steadfast and immovable, knowing that everything is headed for that final day. And we can spend our lives knowing we will receive uh, blessing and glory beyond our imagination in that last day. Well, this morning, I'd like to focus on that last phrase. That the steadfast and movable is talking about what we should believe about the resurrection and then abounding in the work of the Lord. I would like to look at this phrase briefly this morning. Now, abounding in the work of the Lord is another way of simply saying be always about doing his will. Obey him in the whole of your lives. But he put it in a certain way, and I'd like to kind of explore uh, some treats perhaps that could come from the way Paul puts this abounding in the work of the Lord. We'd call it the work of the Lord first because it is work done for the Lord. All that we do, whatever we do, we do it for the Lord. In his letter that he writes to the Colossians, he writes to slaves. And you can imagine a slave's work, how much of it is menial and monotonous, how difficult, distasteful, and demeaning much of his work would be. And yet, Paul says to these slaves, whatever you do, do it hardly as for the Lord and not for men. So that everything even these slaves did, whatever it was, was to be done for the Lord. This turned all of their work into work for the Lord. Now that's a glorious way to, you might say, retitle everything you do in life. Everything I do today, it is done for the Lord. It is the work of the Lord. So, the work of the Lord is loving your spouse. It is honoring and obeying your parents. It is being faithful in your employment, working diligently in school, being honest on your tax return, being kind and hospitable to your neighbor, even things like taking care of your yard and your house, etc. Everything that you do becomes a part of the work of the Lord. So there's a new dignity and a nobility given to our lives as we retitle it, as he does, because this is a synonym for saying, in everything that you do, give yourself up to his will. Well, everything we do now is the work of the Lord. So we call it the work of the Lord because it's done for him, but we also call it this because it is work done like him. In other words, we are imitating him, living like him, and then bearing his likeness to others. That's the work of the Lord. Manifesting Christ to others. Imitating him and then revealing him by our lives. We become little replicas, little uh, pictures and models of the great original. That is the work of the Lord. 
manifesting in our lives. And so then we become like samples of the original. We, they can see us and have some idea to know what Christ is and to see his character in us and to be drawn to him by our lives. In the little movie Walk in the Clouds, Keanu Reeves is a World War II, a guy just gotten out of World War II and supposedly now is going to be a seller of chocolates. And so he runs into this family. This girl becomes his love interest. The father is a wine grower, and he thinks selling chocolates is absolutely pathetic, you know, as he's a wine grower and has come from a generation of wine growers belonging to the land. Is it you selling chocolates? You know, he just can't believe it. But the grandfather, played by Anthony Quinn, is intrigued. He loves chocolates. And so Keanu Reeves brings out this beautiful box because he has a sample box. And you, he opens it up and they're just the most beautiful chocolates. And, and oh, Anthony Quinn grabs one and he bites into it and he says, it's wonderful. And of course, the father's just rolling his eyes, you know, because my stupid grandfather, you know. But you see, there's an example. We become samples of the beauty and flavor and aroma of Christ. And so we not only uh, think of our whole life as a title of done for the Lord, but we think of all of our life. We are giving away the flavor and aroma of Jesus Christ. That is the work of the Lord. But thirdly, it's not only for him, it's not only being like him, but we need to understand that it's the work of the Lord because it really is of him. It's from him, that is, from his grace and strength. Uh, Just in the next book, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, you could turn there easily if you're already here at 1 Corinthians 15, but in 2 Corinthians 15, uh, chapter 9, and I believe it's on page 968. Uh, I think this, this is a, a read-through daily Bible of ESV, but I think it's paged the same, paginated the same, as they would say. And, but n- notice how similar this passage is in 2 Corinthians 9. God is able to make all grace abound to you, the same word here, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So obviously His grace abounds to us. His strength, His life abounds in us. And therefore we are able to abound in every good work, which is just about the same as saying here, abounding in the work of the Lord. But that comes from Him. And even more intimately in the very next book, a familiar passage in Galatians 2 where Paul says, It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Paul is saying, my life now is not defined simply by my strength and my capacity. My life is defined by the life of Christ that is in me. And he says it in a dramatic way. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He's not making a psychological statement that I don't exist anymore and my body is now, you know, completely uh, taken over by Jesus Christ. It's a dramatic way to say, I no longer am defined by just me and what I bring to the table. I'm defined. 
defined by the very life of Christ that has taken hold of me and he's manifesting his life in me, transforming me. And so my whole life is one dependence upon his grace and strength. The one who loved me and gave himself for me. Will he do this? He's the one who loved me and gave himself for me. Indeed, my life is defined by the life of Christ. So you see, this work of the Lord can be thought of. It's all of my life now is done for him. In all of my life, I'm manifesting him. And all of my life comes from him. It's sustained by his grace. And all of those ways you can think of the work of the Lord. But along these lines, in terms of the work coming to us, I I got a precious uh, little message, uh, a a sermon or teaching that came from William Kolb that Jacqueline sent me this week. Uh, And it's got a quote here, I think, that is so helpful for us at this point, because in the middle of all of our failures and sometimes feeling that I'm just dead to the things of God or I'm I'm just I've just had an outbreak of evil in my heart that just has overwhelmed me. I love his statement, and this is about the resurrection. After talking about the, the great change that will occur in our lives physically, he says, but it has reference to our present life. And that's why this is so important. We're abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Because of the resurrection. This is the context. We have new life in Christ, and by that grace, we can, we can be living in an abounding way. And so he says, it's a promise of the resurrection of our spirit when our spirit is in danger of death in the here and now. Your spirit ever been in danger of death in the here and now? Absolutely. Isn't it wonderful to hear that the resurrection is the resurrection of your spirit right now when your spirit is in danger of death? What an encouraging word. The work of the Lord is indeed that. It's of the Lord. Manifested in our lives, but thankfully it's of His grace and mercy. That's why we're going to have the Lord's Supper, because it tells us, I'm only nourished by His grace. I depend upon Him. I feed off Him. I rest in Him. He must give me everything. And so it is the work of the Lord in that sense. Fourthly, I want to say this, though. This work of the Lord has a kind of special reference to the work of the church of the Lord and the gospel of the Lord. Notice just a few verses later in chapter 16, verse 10. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord. Now, he's referring here to Timothy, who is a minister and an elder, pastor, and he refers to it as the work of the Lord. Now, I don't think that he means by verse 58, only those things that have to do with the church and the gospel in a particular way. I'm on purpose have said it applies to every part of your life. But you might say there's a kind of emphasis a core that will be the life of God's people and the ministry of God's people. Later in Philippians, Paul, speaking of Epaphroditus, says he nearly died for the work of Christ, which is very close to the work of the Lord. Again, talking about ministry in that particular sense. So we would say this phrase, 
while not leaving out the whole of our life and embracing that, it has a particular reference to our work in ministry for the people of God and among the people of God in our worship and fellowship, in the exercise of our gifts and abilities. And certainly it includes all that we do as his people to make the Lord Jesus Christ known to others that they might come to Christ. So you might think about it in this way. There's a kind of church and gospel center to our lives that forms the core for our lives and pours out into the rest of our lives. But this also means that the whole of our lives has a kind of gospel edge, a gospel shape, a gospel purpose. We never cease being the people of God in some way or another as we manifest Christ, calling by our lives and our words calling them to Christ, doing the work. In a a certain sense, even by the way you do your job, you are never not manifesting the gospel of Christ, either by your life or by your words. So there's that special sense in which we are the kingdom of God on earth, His people manifesting Christ, calling people by our lives and our message to Jesus Christ. That's why our mission statement, nurturing a love for God, a joy for the love of God, a love of people. How? By proclaiming and living out the gospel of Jesus Christ in every part of life. That's why Peter said in Second and First Peter 2, you are a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So, As we've talked about this being uh, the whole of your life is for the Lord. You are seeking to be like him in the whole of your life. He is sustaining you in the whole of your life. And there's a special kind of color and a little bit darker emphasis of the ministry in and among his people. And as the people of God making known the gospel in our lives. Maybe an encouraging thing to touch on uh, before we close is in the fifth place. Always remember that your work is acceptable to the Lord through Jesus Christ. Only through Jesus Christ. This isn't a means of our earning God's favor somehow. If we do enough good things, maybe God will favor us. We are accepted in Christ. And then through His grace and through His forgiveness and His death and resurrection, but in the context, we are able to offer up all that we do. And it's accepted through Christ. Peter says we're to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Notice what our confession says about this. Even our best works, the confession says, as they are good, they proceed from His Spirit, but as they're wrought by us, they're defiled, mixed with so much weakness and imperfection, they cannot endure the severity of God's judgment. So in other words, your best hour, your best minute, your best deed, still can't stand under the severity of God's judgment. Then you think, oh, well, okay, forget it. You know, what's the point? What's the use? But there's a kind of freedom in this, in that he, not that you don't seek to be as sincere as possible and give yourself in, in utter uh, full effort to the will of God, but even there you can say, oh, Lord, I've given myself up as best I can, even with my weakness, Thank you that you accept my offering in in Jesus Christ. Confession goes on to say, the persons of believers being accepted through Christ, their good works also are accepted in Him. This is one of the sweetest things I I read in my early years in college, reading Confession. This, This 
paragraph helped me more than just about anything else in the, in the confession. Not only am I accepted, their good works are accepted in him, not as though they were in this life unblameable, but looking upon them in his son, he's pleased to accept them and reward that which is sincere, although accompanied with many weaknesses and imperfections. And of course, that's not license to say, okay, well, I can go do whatever I want to. No, it's saying as we give ourselves to his will, and even then we find that there are mixed motives at times, there's such weakness and failure in even our best efforts. Thanks be to God, even those good deeds are accepted in Christ. We are accepted in Christ, and all that we do in his name is accepted in Christ. And so it's a a sense of peace that we go about our work, a sense of fellowship and intimacy, having the sense of God at your elbow always, smiling upon you and encouraging you and strengthening you, using you as an instrument. I love this passage in 2 Timothy 2 as he writes to Timothy and he says, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. You see, there is this intense sincerity in saying, Lord, I give myself into your hands to be your instrument in this world that I might manifest Christ. And even with your failure and weakness to know you're accepted in Christ. But just the last word, uh, which if you're keeping points, it's the sixth point. Can you imagine a six-point sermon in less than 20 minutes? Wow, that's just amazing. Okay. Uh, But finally, our work can abound in Christ. He says, he uses this word, and we we saw the word in 2 Corinthians 9, didn't we, about grace abounding and therefore us abounding in every good work. But he says, abound. And now get this, abound in the work of the Lord. That's not not an option. That's not like, you know, the, the standard thing they say, 20% 20% of the church's work or 80% of the church's work is done by 20% of the people. That's not a good figure, okay? That's not probably everybody abounding in the work of the Lord. This is not really an option, brothers and sisters. And think of it not so much as tightening the screws on your life as saying, look, I've thrown the doors wide open by the resurrection, and as you, as you completely embrace the grace of that resurrection, the forgiveness and the new life and the hope that you have, why, your life can abound in the things of God. Look, look at the great possibility for your life. He's, he's commanding, yes, but he's telling you these are the parameters. This is the exciting richness that is a part of your life because you're new in Christ. Abound in the work of the Lord. Your work is not in vain. It's not empty. It will have a final wonderful fruition. It will have success as the God blesses it in this life because of the resurrection. The resurrection defines you. Abound in the work of the Lord. You see, the Lord himself was dead in the tomb. And earlier in this very passage, he says he was raised and now he is life-giving spirit. That defines him. He is life-giving spirit. He's so associated by the pouring out of the life of the spirit, he's named that now. He's life-giving spirit. That defines our life. That defines the new creation that we're in. And it means that we should abound 
And as you know, uh, speaking of the resur- uh, I'm sorry, speaking of the outpouring of the Spirit in John 7, he says, from your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Your life is not defined by death. It is defined by the abundant, copious, overflowing, prolific resurrection of Jesus Christ. We took a vacation years ago in October when our, we were homeschooling at the time so we could take one in October and our children were elementary age. We went all the way to Rhode Island. We had friends that had a summer home in Rhode Island. They were up from that area and lived down in Louisiana at the time. This was a 300-year-old two-story cottage. Okay, It sat about an eighth of a mile off the lane. And I say lane because these lanes were... Uh, guarded on both sides by those old rock walls with no mortar, you know, that were piled several hundred years ago. The uh, rock wall went all around the house and its properties. As you look at the house off the road, there was this classic barn on the left side, a gorgeous uh, ripe apple orchard on the right side bursting with fruit. Behind it were grazing about a hundred Holsteins, you know, the beautiful black and white cows. And then beyond that was the ocean. Okay, It was on the seashore. It was just breathtaking. And you go into the house and there were uh, hand-hewn beams, you know, beams uh, that were exposed. Every room was like walking into a storybook. And we had uh, told our kids a lot about it because we had been there before for a, a weekend. And so after driving all day long, we pull into the, uh, the driveway, this little dirt road that runs an eighth of a mile. Chase, who's about 10 years old, says, stop the car. He pops out of the car, starts running down the road just as fast. As he, I mean, we didn't know he was going to do that. He was so excited that we were there. You know, so we're following this little 10-year-old body, jogging down, jogging down the lane all the way to the house. And that week was just full of the most wonderful things. We had more rich moments than we could describe. I love when Kay made an apple pie of those uh, crisp, tart apples of the apple trees. The kids said, Mama made this pie with real apples. You know, not just the fake ones in the store. You know, these are real apples. And that vacation was not only full of family football, barn and cow and seashore adventures, this little restaurant on the town square of Little Compton that had just heart-stopping chowder, probably literally with all the cream and butter in it. Um, it also included a trip to the Science Museum in Boston, to Plymouth, the Mayflower Reproductions, Central Park, FAO Schwartz in New York City, and a stopover in Washington, D.C. The trip abounded in good things. We remember it to this day. We talk about it to this day. That's something. We can't get at it, but that's something of what God means when he says, your life will and can and must abound in the work of the Lord. Overflow. And of course, primarily, what does that mean? Your life is going to abound in love. Could there be a more joyful kind of prophecy pronounced over you by the Word of God that the people of God will abound in love for one another? They will abound in their love for God. They will abound in their love for this broken world. Do we believe it? Are we steadfast and movable? 
believing in the resurrection that we may abound in the work of the Lord, even in the midst of difficulty, even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of downturns and overwhelming things that occur, God gives us grace to abound. I repeat Kolb's quote, the promise of the resurrection is that when our spirit is in danger of death, there is a resurrection of our spirit. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we praise you. For your grace and mercy in the glorious death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and what it means for every day of our lives. That our whole life is retitled. Now it is work for Christ. And now it is the glory of seeking to be like Christ and making him known and being virtual replicas and samples in some way of the Lord Jesus. And that, Lord, this is sustained by your resurrection and grace. It is all of you, your life in us. We thank you that, Lord, we have the body of Christ to join ourselves to and the ministry of your people and your word as our base of operation, so to speak, as the sustaining core of our lives so that we might be an army, as we sang about even earlier, doing good in this world. And, Lord, we thank you that all that we do is accepted in Christ. We thank you that we can abound in these things by your grace. Oh, Lord, bless us. Oh, Lord, give us faith. Oh, Lord, use us as instruments as we even now, through this supper, would, in the words of Paul, give ourselves up to your use, to honorable use, to be vessels in the hands of the Master that you might use us for your purposes. We pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, oh, come with blissful rain, break radiant through the shades of night, and chase my fears away. Won't you chase my fears away? Then shall my soul with rapture trace 